Dad, I'm broke. Hey, broke. I'm Dad. Dad. Okay, don't you have cash saved up from babysitting? No, I spent it. I want my own bank account from S&T Bank. They offer free ATMs, Zelle, and an annual scholarship. Plus, when I open a Smart Start checking account, I get $100. See? I'm responsible. Hey, responsible. I'm Dad. Visit stbank.com slash smartstart for details. Bonus available July 1st through September 30th, 2022. Opening deposit balance of $50 required. Member FDIC. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. This episode is powered by Poddex. Poddex are unique interview questions and episode starting prompts in the palm of your hand. So whether you're a new podcaster or existing broadcaster looking to grow your audience and have more meaningful conversations, you're going to want to check out Poddex. Now, if you want to get 10% off your order right now, you can go to poddex.com and type in coupon code, what's the code? Larry21. Yes, that's the code. Check out poddex.com. Take your podcast to the next level. Welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. We dive into stories of true crime, from unsolved cold cases to historic kidnapping to gangsters and beyond. We are your source for true crime. We thank you for listening. Welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. I'm your host, Larry Lease. And today we're diving into part two of the Boston bombing, Justice Served. First, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Poddex, for sponsoring this episode. You can check them out today at poddex.com. Use promo code Larry21 for 10% off your order. And as always, if you want to be a part of the show, you can send us a voicemail at 682-305-0483. Let us know your thoughts on the topics we covered, um, any facts we might have missed about the cases we covered, uh, ideas for future episodes, anything... You can even, uh, if it's a concern you might have about what we have said and done, just send us a voicemail, and you can always stay anonymous if you'd like. But now, on to our main topic. The Boston bombing justice served. United States Senators Kelly Ayotte, Saxby Chambliss, Lindsey Graham, John McCain, and Representative Peter King suggested that Zokar Sarnayev a U.S. citizen should be tried as an unlawful enemy combatant rather than as a criminal, potentially preventing him from obtaining legal counsel. Others said that doing so would be illegal, including prominent American legal scholar and lawyer Alan Dershowitz, and would jeopardize the prosecution. The government decided to try Zokar in the federal criminal court system and not as an enemy combatant. Zokar was questioned for 16 hours by investigators, but stopped communicating with them on the night of April 22nd, after Judge Marion Ballard read him a Miranda warning. Zokar had not previously been given a Miranda warning, as federal law enforcement officials invoked the warning's public safety exception. 
This raised doubts whether his statements during this investigation would be admissible as evidence and led to a debate surrounding Miranda rights. On April 22, 2013, formal criminal charges were brought against Zarnayev in a U.S. District Court for the District of Massachusetts during a bedside hearing while he was hospitalized. He was charged with the use of a weapon of mass destruction and with malicious destruction of property resulting in death. Some of the charges carried potential sentences of life imprisonment or the death penalty. Zarnayev was judged to be awake, mentally competent, and lucid, and he responded to most questions by nodding. The judge asked him whether he was able to afford an attorney, and he said no. He was represented by the Federal Public Defender's Office. On April 26, Zokar Sarnayev was moved from Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center to the Federal Medical Center at Fort Devens, about 40 miles from Boston. FMC Devens is a federal prison medical facility at a former army base where he was held in solitary confinement at a segregated housing unit with 23-hour-per-day lockdown. On July 10, 2013, Sonayev pleaded not guilty to 30 charges in his first public court appearance, including a murder charge for MIT police officer Sean Collier. He was back in court for a status hearing on September 23rd, and his lawyers requested more time to prepare their defense. On October 2nd, Sarnayev's attorneys asked the court to lift the special administrative measures imposed by Attorney General Eric Holder in August, saying that the measures had left Sarnayev unduly isolated from communication with his family and lawyers, and that no evidence suggested that he posed a future threat. Jury selection began on January 5th, 2015, and was completed on March 3rd with a jury consisting of 8 men and 10 women. The trial began on March 4th with Assistant U.S. Attorney William Weinreb describing the bombing and painting Zokar as a, quote, a soldier in a holy war against Americans whose motive was reaching paradise. He called the brothers equal participants. Defense attorney Judy Clark admitted that Zokar Sarnayev had placed the second bomb and was present at the murder of Sean Collier, the carjacking of Don Meng, and the Watertown shootout but she emphasized the influence that his older brother had on him, portraying him as a follower. Between March 4th and 30th, prosecutors called more than 90 witnesses, including bombing survivors who described losing limbs in the attack, and the government rested its case on March 30th. The defense rested as well on March 31st after calling only four witnesses. Sarnayev was found guilty on all 30 counts on April 8th. The sentencing phase of the trial began on April 21st and a further verdict was reached on May 15th, in which it was recommended that he be put to death. Sarnay was sentenced to death on June 24th, after apologizing to the victims. In 2018, Sarnay's lawyers appealed on the grounds that a low court judge refusal to move the case to another city, not traumatized by the bombings, deprived him of a fair trial. On July 30th, 2020, Sarnay's death sentence was reversed by the U.S. Court of Appeals for the First Circuit, which found that during jury selection, the district court did not properly screen prospective jurors on how much they had heard of the case. The First Circuit vacated the death sentence and three of the other 30 convictions against Sarnayev and ordered a new penalty phase jury trial with fresh jurors, leaving the decision to a new, charge of, new change of venue excuse me, to the district court. Sarnayev's remaining convictions still carried multiple life sentences, assuring that he would remain in prison regardless of the results of the new trial. The U.S. government appealed this ruling to the U.S. Supreme Court, which granted the 
Suratori in the case U.S. v. Tsarnaev in March 2021, which was argued before the court on October 13, 2021, and a decision is expected to be announced this summer. Now let's take a look at possible motives of the Tsarnaev brothers' attack. According to FBI interrogators, Zokar and his brother were motivated by Islamic beliefs, but were not connected to any known terrorist groups. Instead, learning to build explosive weapons from an online magazine published by Al-Qaeda affiliates in Yemen. They further allege that Zokar and his brother considered suicide attacks and striking the Boston Pops fireworks spectacular on the 4th of July, but ultimately decided to use remotely activated pressure cooker bombs and other IEDs. Fox News reported that the brothers chose the prestigious race as a target of opportunity after the building of the bombs came together more quickly than expected. Zokar said that he and his brother wanted to defend Islam from the U.S., accusing the U.S. of conducting the Iraq War and war in Afghanistan against Muslims. A CBS report revealed that Zokar had scrawled a note with a marker on the interior wall of the boat where he was hiding. The note stated that the bombings were, quote, retribution for U.S. military action in Afghanistan and Iraq, and called the Boston victims collateral damage. In the same way, innocent victims have been collateral damage in the U.S. wars around the world. Photographs of the note were later used in the trial. Some political science and public policy writers suggest that Islam may have played a secondary role in the attacks. These writers theorize that the primary motives might have been sympathy towards the political aspirations in the uh, apologies for saying this right or wrong, the Caucasus region and Tamerlan's inability to become fully integrated into American society. According to the LA Times, a law enforcement official said that Zokar did not seem as bothered about America's role in the Muslim world as his brother Tamerlan had been. Zokar identified Tamerlan as the driving force behind the bombing and said that his brother had not had only recently recruited him to help. Some journalists and Sarnayev's defense attorney have suggested that the FBI may have recruited or attempted to recruit Tamerlan Sarnayev as an informant. And now, we're going to take a look at some other people that were arrested rather quickly, but eventually released during the manhunt of the bombing. On April 15th, several people who were near the scene of the blast were taken into custody and questioned about the bombing, including a Saudi man, whom police stopped as he was walking away from the explosion. They detained him when some of his responses made them uncomfortable. Law enforcement searched his residence in a Boston suburb, and the man was found to have no connection to the attack. An unnamed U.S. official said, quote, He was just at the wrong place at the wrong time. On the night of April 18th, Two men who were riding in a taxi in the vicinity of the shootout were arrested and released shortly thereafter when police determined that they were not involved in the marathon attacks. Another man was arrested several blocks from the site of the shootout and was forced to strip naked by police who feared that he might have concealed explosives. He was released that evening after a brief investigation determined that he was an innocent bystander. And then we have... Apologies for saying this guy's name wrong. Ibrahim Todeshev was, was a Chechen from Boston who, who was interrogated in Orlando, Florida, 
During the interrogation, he was shot and killed by an FBI agent who claimed that he had attacked the agent. The New York Times quoted an unnamed law enforcement official as saying that the man had confessed to a triple homicide and implicated Tsarnaev as well. The man's father claimed his son is innocent and that federal investigators are biased against Chechens and made up their case against him. Then we have Diaz Kadurbev, Azamat Sakov, and Robel Filipos. Robel Filipos was a U.S. citizen of Ethiopian descent living in Cambridge who was arrested and faced with charges of knowingly making false statements to police. He graduated from high school in 2011 with Zokar Sarnai. Apologies for saying these names wrong. Diaz Kidurbev and Azamat Tzaykov were natives of Kazakhstan living in the U.S. They were Zokar Sarnayev's roommates in an off-campus housing complex in New Bedford, Massachusetts, at which Sarnayev had sometimes stayed. Filipos, I'll just call him K, and T, and Sarnayev entered the University of Massachusetts Dartmouth in the fall of 2011 and knew each other well. After seeing photos of Sarnayev on television, the three men traveled to his dorm room, where K and T retrieved a backpack and a laptop belonging to Sarnayev, while Filipos acted as a lookout. The backpack was discarded, but police recovered it in its contents in a nearby New Bedford landfill on April 26. During interviews, the men initially denied visiting the dorm room, but later admitted their actions. K and T were arrested by police at the off-campus housing complex during the night of April 18th and 19th. An unidentified girlfriend of one of the men was also arrested, but all three were soon released. K and T, as we're calling them, were re-arrested in New Bedford on April 20th and held on immigration-related violations. They appeared before a federal immigration judge on May 1st and were charged with overstaying their student visas. That same day, the two were charged criminally with willfully conspiring with each other to commit an offense against the United States by knowing, knowingly destroying, concealing, and covering up objects belonging to Zokar Sarnayev, namely a backpack containing fireworks and a laptop computer with the intent to impede, obstruct, and influence the criminal investigation of the Marathon bombing. The pair were indicted by a federal grand jury on August 8, 2013, on charges of conspiracy to obstruct justice for helping Zokar Sarnayev dispose of a laptop computer fireworks in a backpack after the bombing. Each faced up to 25 years in prison and deportation if convicted. T was convicted of obstruction of justice and conspiracy on July 21, 2014. K pleaded guilty to obstruction charges on August 22, 2014, but sentencing was delayed pending the U.S. Supreme Court's ruling on Yates v. United States. He ended up being sentenced to six years in prison in June 2015 and was deported back to Kazakhstan in October 2018. T pleaded not guilty and went to trial, arguing that his friend, K, was the mastermind behind destroying the evidence and that he only attempted obstruction. Jurors returned a guilty verdict against him, however, and he was sentenced to 42 months in prison 
in June 2015, which equated to three and a half years. District Judge Douglas Woodlock gave a lighter sentence to him than to Kay, who was viewed as more culpable. T was released in May 2016 and subsequently deported. Philippos was arrested and faced charges of knowingly making false statements to police. He was released on a $100,000 bail and placed under house confinement with an ankle monitor. He was convicted on October 28, 2014 on two charges of lying about being in Sarnayev's dorm room. He later acknowledged that he had been in the room while two friends removed a backpack containing potential evidence relating to the bombing. Philippos faced a maximum sentence of eight years imprisonment on each count. In June 2015, District Judge Douglas Woodlock sentenced him to three years in prison. Philippos filed an appeal, but his sentence was upheld in court on February 28, 2017. Philippos was released from prison in Philadelphia on February 26, 2018, and must serve a three-year probation upon his release. Another name I'm going to struggle pronouncing. Karazon Mentenov. A federal indictment was unsealed against this man on May 30th, 2014, charging him with one count of destroying, altering, and falsifying records, documents, and tangible objects in a federal investigation, specifically information on his computer, and three counts of making false material materially false, fictitious, and fraudulent statements in a federal terrorism investigation. Montanov bought dinner for the two Sarnayo brothers 40 minutes after the bombing. After the brothers' photos were released to the public, he viewed the photos on the CNN and FBI websites before attempting to reach Zokar. He then tried to give away his cell phone and delete hundreds of documents from his computer. Prosecutors said that Montanov attempted to mislead investigators about the nature of his relationship with the brothers, and to conceal that he shared their philosophy of violence. He was originally from Kyrgyzstan, came to the U.S. in 2010 on a student visa, and later claimed asylum. He attended Quincy College for two years before dropping out to become a taxicab driver. He was living in Quincy, Massachusetts at the time of his arrest, and was a friend of Tamerlan Sonayev. In March 2015, Matanov pleaded guilty to all four counts. In June 2015, he was sentenced to 30 months in prison. Three people were killed as a direct result of bombings. Crystal Marie Campbell, 29-year-old restaurant manager from Medford, Massachusetts, was killed by the first bomb. And in respect to this uh, person, can't pronounce her name right, or wrong, I mean, or can't pronounce her name properly, so... I'm just going to say the 23-year-old Chinese national and Boston University statistics graduate student from Shenyang, an 8-year-old boy, Martin William Richard, from the Dor Dorchester neighborhood of Boston, were both killed by the second bomb. Sean Collier, 27, was shot and killed by the bombers as he sat in his patrol car on April 18th at around 10.48 p.m. He was an MIT police officer and had been with the Somerville Auxiliary Police Department from 2006 to 2009, he died from multiple gunshot wounds. Boston Police Department Officer Dennis Simmons died on April 10, 2014, from injuries that he received during the Watertown shootout the year before. According to the Boston Public Health Commission, 264 civilians were treated at 27 local hospitals. 11 days later, 29 remained hospitalized, one in critical condition.
Many victims had lower leg injuries and shrapnel wounds, which indicated that the devices were low to the ground. At least 16 civilians lost limbs at the scene or by surgical amputation, and three lost more than one limb. Doctors described removing ball-bearing type metallic beads a little larger than BBs and small carpenter-type nails about half to one inch long. Similar objects were found. At, similar objects were found at the scene. The New York Times cited doctors as saying that the bombs mainly injured legs, ankles, and feet because they were low to the ground instead of instead of fatally injuring abdomens, chest, shoulders, and heads. Some victims had perforated eardrums. MBTA police officer Richard Donahue Jr. was critically wounded during a firefight with the bombers just after midnight on April 19th. He lost almost all of his blood and his heart stopped for 45 minutes, during which time he was kept alive by cardiopulmonary resuscitation. The Boston Globe reported that Donahue may have been accidentally shot by a fellow officer. Mark Busserol lost his right leg and received severe burns and shrapnel wounds. He was the last victim released from hospital care on July 24, 2013. Courtney Kelly, who ran for the National Multiple Sclerosis Society, suffered hypothermia with no permanent damage. Let us know in the comment section below your thoughts on the topic we covered. Do you think uh, Sarnayev deserves a death penalty, or should he just remain in solitary confinement behind bars? Let us know. And if you want to support the show, go ahead and buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash tcns. Your support can help the channel grow. And we thank you for your support. And don't forget to hit that subscribe and a thumbs up. Thank you so much for watching and listening. You have been listening to the True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast. Thank you for listening. You can follow us on Facebook at True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast and on Twitter at True Crime NS. And follow us on Instagram at True Crime Never Sleeps. Thanks for watching. If you want to support the show, buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash TCNN or become a patron at patreon.com slash True Crime Never Sleeps. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. summer with AC Pro and O'Reilly Auto Parts. Right now, get a $15 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card after mail-in rebate with the purchase of select AC Pro ready-to-use refrigerant products that include a hose and gauge. Beat the heat before you hit the road with AC Pro at your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store. Oh, oh.